Welcome back to Church Unscripted, a podcast at Brookside Church, where we uh, decide to go a little bit deeper into the conversations we're having on Sunday mornings. Uh, if you have not been with us for a while, we've called it Unscripted because we're meant to simulate the conversations you might have with some family or friends about the Sunday sermon. And so you don't come with notes or, or prepared responses to those things. And so we just wanted to have a casual conversation about what God is teaching us through his word on Sundays. So we're hoping that this podcast gives you some value and meaning and some additional insight into the scripture. And so if it does, would you mind liking and subscribing to our channel? And while you're there, hit the notification bell so that you can be notified of any new content that we upload on a given week. I have with me an extra guest. And so next to me is uh, Pastor Brian Clay, who preached this weekend. But we also have Pastor David and Pastor John to carry the conversation. And so thanks, guys, for being with us. Brian, we appreciate you being here. And it's uh, it's going to be a good conversation. I love the message. What we like to do, Brian, we just like to dive straight in. So none of it's like pandering, nothing like that. We're not going to do that to make you feel good, good well, about yourself. Good. We're just going to... You already stopped the pandering because... I did. Sunday, yes. you gave him the crazy or insane accusation. Yeah, you I mean, seriously. I looked at all of the weeks and I thought, which one do I, I not yeah, want I to preach? Yeah, I noticed you didn't want to preach that one. And I just gave it to you. I thought, I you know, this would be the hardest that. one. And yeah. so I, I appreciate you stepping in and, was great. and hitting for me. So uh, let me let me just kind of start with this question. So what I, what I appreciated about your message uh, is that uh, we do not just have um, an enemy that tries to convince us that we are theologically crazy, biblically crazy, even spiritually crazy from either some weird thing that we see in scripture all the way to the point of saying, you really put your faith and trust in a savior that rose from the dead. That's crazy. But I think we also can in and of ourselves speak that we're, we are, we ourselves are crazy. Like, how could I believe this? It just simply doesn't make sense. So I guess my question is this, what do, what do most of us do when we begin to feel like our beliefs are crazy? What's our natural response or reaction to that thought? Yeah, I'd love to hear your guys' opinion, yeah. So for me, it was interesting, like, trying to process this when I found out this was the passage you were asking me to preach on. And I had to go back and say, in those moments in life where I have really been challenged in my faith and said, can I believe in the entirety of the Bible? Right, and not just pick out the parts that I like, but can I believe in the entirety of the Bible? And I've wrestled with that my entire, I mean, I'm 53. So I've wrestled with my entire life. I think early on, it was always going back to someone who I felt was more knowledgeable. I mean, and so in those situations, I'd always say, well, who do I go back? The problem is I'm the person who people come to now for those points. And I don't know that I have all the answers, right? Are you supposed to have the answers? No, and that's what I'm learning, that sometimes it's falling into the arms of God Mm. and it comes down to putting your butt in the seat, right? This idea of faith. And I think part of it is having faith in the God that you trust. Mm. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you don't have faith, then you would have all the answers, right? Right. And then you would make yourself God because you would have all the answers, right? So you'd be the ultimate authority on everything. And because we don't have the answers, we know there is a God. Mm. And that, that's the God that we have to have faith I just, in. But I, I just got really philosophical. I know, but I really like having answers. So yeah. Yeah. that's the problem mm. is, and even after church on Sunday, the, the people who came up and just wanted to talk about some of the, the disbelief in their life mm-hmm. and the parts of the Bible that they struggle with, mm-hmm. right? That if this is God's ordained message to us, here's parts that I struggle with or I don't like. That was one of the people. I don't, this is parts I don't like in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard Thomas Jefferson ripped out parts of the Bible and doesn't yeah, he use certain like, ones he, he didn't like. like. I'm Take serious, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, and just like, oh, I'm gonna, 
I don't like the gospel of Luke, so I'm going to take that out of the Bible. Or some of the early uh, heretics, you might say, in the, in inside the church were people that took portions of the gospels and would say, this is the only gospel that's valid, or this is the only thing. And I think that's dangerous. Wouldn't you agree? Right. I mean, <laughs> well, there's a lot of natural responses. I think whenever we find ourselves in some kind of a fear uh, situation, and I think when we when we feel like we're crazy for believing what we believe, but yet we don't have an answer for that craziness, mm. we step into one of those three psychological responses: fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. And so it might be based on personality on which one you do, but I think some of us try to fight it and say, "No, I'm not crazy," even if we don't know why we're not crazy. We still don't have the answer. Some of us uh, flee from it. We're like, you know, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm going to yeah. put it out of my head and I'll just focus on those passages that make sense to me. And whenever pe- people bring up the passages, this one was, a, was a, a gut check for me when you mentioned it. You gave an example of why is it in the Old Testament that God instructs his people to go kill not just the enemy army, but all the men and all the women, all the children, all the infants. And I promise you, the moment some of our viewers hear me say that, they're going to click off. And they're like, I'm not listening to that podcast anymore because I can't handle a good God that would allow something like that to happen. I have thought that before. My wife has thought that before. And I thought, how do I justify that? And so my reaction was, I'll just flee from it. You know, mm. I'll just run from it and not mm. even deal with it. And some people freeze. And in terms of freezing, I think it's their faith gets frozen. Mm. As I'm going to continue doing the, the, the religious stuff. I'll go to church, be a part of my Bible study. But in terms of diving in so my faith deepens, I think it's a, like a roadblock. So- mm. And what's your thoughts and feedback to these, the, the, to those possible reactions? I, I, I'm looking I, at David. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to think of which one do I tend to lean towards. Um, and I think for me, I think I would, I, I think I fall in the freeze category when I, when I start to doubt things where I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I'm just not going to deal with that. Like, it's just going to, we're just going to like let it sit there. Um, but I think, you know, in, in those moments, um, I'm learning how to have faith. And I love how you brought up Habakkuk and how, uh, I think you, you said God did not fully answer his questions, but he changed his heart. And I think like that really hit me when you, when you said that, because I'm like that for me, that helps me to keep from freezing. Because I, I know, like, I, I can still have questions. I cannot understand everything. If I understand everything, then we probably have a problem because <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever fully understand. But if, it, if my heart in it is just to be like, Lord, I don't know. I think he, that's when he reveals stuff to us um, and truth to us and helps us to believe more. And I, I do think that the scary thing about doubt is if you land in one of those categories and you stay there for too long. So even freezing can mm. be okay. Yeah. Like there's moments where God says, slow down, you don't know. Slow down, you don't know, wait. Like if you look through the Psalms, wait, wait, yeah, wait. It's a theme. And so I think there's something okay with that. Um, what is scary is the two ends. Well, there's people fighting. So there's people that protest against what they think is immoral. Mm. But yet they themselves would never do those immoral things. And they're showing through their character that they won't do those things. That's fine. Mm. But when you go to the point of, of hurting other people... <laughs> because you want to prove that you're justified, mm. that's the fight that can become really nasty. And then on the other hand, you have the people that flee. And so if we flee forever, mm. then do we have faith anymore at all? Mm. And, you know, are we leaving the faith? So, John, how do you, how do you address those responses <laughs> then? If there's those two extremes, when somebody... 
Why are you putting it on when, me? Just hey, like, you, you I'm posed it, so I'm going to ask. No, he's the one who's supposed to have all the answers. Yeah. No, no, no. Right, I, right. I'm going to give Brian a break on this one. Right. <laughs> Everyone can answer. But, like, how do, like, because I, I hear that, and I'm like, okay, well, that's comforting to know, like, that's a natural reaction. But how do I keep myself from staying in that space? Well, let me put it this way. If I'm aware of someone else being in one of those spaces, the hardest thing and the messiest thing is what needs to happen, which is usually walking with those people. Hmm. It's not, you can't stay on the sidelines when you see someone running from the faith. Like if I hear about a friend of mine that's really struggling, I'm showing up on their doorstep. And you can ask my wife because I'm a little crazy. So <laughs> just a little crazy. You like that? Yeah, yeah, from Sunday. Um, but I think, I think in some ways when, you, when you're internal, so say you're internal and you're mm-hmm. thinking these things, I think the best way is to ground yourself back into scripture. And what I mean by that is whatever you're fleeing from, you got to ask the question, why am I running from this? What else is actually, what is this actually triggering within me? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it something else? Am I, am I convicted about something and I just can't handle it? Like, is it something from my past? Is What, what is it? Um, and pursuing God in that. Um, I, I want to like pivot to something you said Sunday oh, because I, I, I'm, I'm going back yeah, to Brian. Yeah, I see yeah, how yeah. this works. Well, I'm not, no, I get it. I'm not entirely <laughs> deflecting. I, I think he may have actually had the answer on Sunday, but he didn't know it because it was near the beginning of your sermon. So I felt like you let the, the cat out of the bag before the sermon. Oh, now you're beginning. critiquing his sermon? Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally This am. is not church unscripted. This is something different. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. what? <laughs> is yeah. this church, uh, church encouragement? I don't know. Yeah, okay. So you mentioned Colossians 3 near the beginning of your sermon, which I think is actually mm. the answer. Yeah. Okay, so just to say Three, that. one through three. Three, one through three. On the third one, if you believe this in faith then you will never stay in any of those phases. Because? And because for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. If you believe that, mm. you can't run from your faith. You can't fight others in your faith and you can't freeze. You have to rest in him because you're hidden in Christ. Whoa. That was, yeah, Whoa. that was a mic drop moment. But, it was. But the reality <laughs> did is- you just, Did you just say what you yourself said was a mic drop moment? <laughs> yes, I did. I think you're supposed to wait for other well, people to whoa. say that about you. He said, whoa. He said, whoa. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It was kind of mockery. Wasn't yeah, it was. That was- a mockery? It. Okay, well done. Ryan Brian. is never allowed on again <laughs> as long as I'm here. No, I'm just kidding. That, no, that's a really good point. And I think that's very true um, theologically and what happens in your heart. However, mm. if, if I'm going to observe somebody who feels like their belief system uh, or their Christian lifestyle is crazy for one reason or another, uh, I, I don't think anyone's going to just walk up to you and be like, hey, I'm fighting right now these thoughts of crazy or I'm fleeing mm. from them. I, I think there's certain indications. So Brian, I've got a question that's really a two-part question. <laughs> I totally had a question too. I know. See, this I is, I'm this. waiting for this. I'll just okay. let you guys, Aunt, these are great. I didn't know it went like this. <laughs> <laughs> No, we bring you on so you just sit there and don't have to I'm, say anything. I'm content with this. Okay, <laughs> all right. So here's my question because people won't just uh, aggressively walk up to you and say, hey, I'm fighting these thoughts of crazy or I'm fleeing from them. What are some of the indications of people who fight, flee, or freeze? And then the second part to that question, which I can ask again in a second, is how do we redirect them to what Jesus did? Because Jesus did none of those three. Mm. Isn't it, okay, so I think it's interesting that we have people um, who will, first of all, come to church, right? Um, And they'll sit here on a Sunday morning, and some people even leave here not knowing what the sermon was about. Do you know Mm -hmm. people like that who will come and- I have no idea what you're talking about. They've been staring at your forehead the whole time, (laughs) right? So they may come and they're like, what did that person talk about? 
So then we have people who are willing to connect with others, maybe here at church, right? So they might be in some type of class. And then we have people who will connect outside of church and they might be in a small group. And then we might even have people who are connecting in accountability groups. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think what I begin to notice is people who don't want to meet anymore in accountability. And then all of a sudden they kind of veer away from small groups, Mm -hmm. okay? And then they stop attending some type of class. And then they only come occasionally because they're wrestling with things Mm -hmm. that their attendance points to where their mindset is. Hmm. Did that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So pre- proximity means a ton. Proximity and presence, yeah. right? So I would say your presence and involvement in um, community with others. Yeah. So pastorally, are you saying that we need to pursue those that are not pursuing? Well, I mean, wait a minute. Wait, he didn't answer the second part of my question. Okay. He just okay. railroaded me. I'm sorry. What, <laughs> oh my goodness. I thought I answered it. Did I not? That was you answered the first part. I think that was the second part of his. But no, yeah. So the second right. part is, so let's just say the indication is people pull away, they distance themselves. So as fellow believers, right. and leaders in the church, how do we come alongside them and redirect them to how Jesus responds? So can I tell did, you? Did, I, did you already answer that no, question? No, no, because okay. the hard part is it takes effort. Okay. And I think mm. for me personally, that means it's going to take time away from the things that I think have value, right? And so whether it's a project at my house or things that I feel like I need to get done, now I have to turn that and invest in people. And I I think that's a huge, huge issue for us in church is we'd rather do a project than spend time with people. Wow. Do you think that's true? I I think we like programs. I think we like services. I think it's messy. Right. Right, and so it's easier for us to do a program than actually spend time with people and then let them unload those thoughts and doubts. So this morning, the staff um, just had a coaching session uh, where we learned a couple of really important things. Um, One of them was that uh, the the foundational element for people living in shame uh, or fear as opposed to living in in love or, or feelings of worthiness or confidence is, is this sense of connection. And so if you are connected to holistic, healthy kind of relationship, which right. is why it's a part of our vision at Brookside, uh, that leads to overcoming some of these doubts and fears and feelings of, I must be crazy. And so then you distance yourself, but the connections bring you back, not just to each other, right. but to Jesus. Mm. And, and we're learning that more and more and more. And not just the church is learning that, the whole secular world, psychological world, social work world is learning all of that. Um, what, what I really love, and I'll tell you, I've got another question, but I'm gonna go to his <laughs> since I pretty much cut him off, but no, I've got a follow-up question to all of this. No, so so, I took the whole sermon in a different direction than Eric did. I just realized this as he's talking about this because I kept thinking about the people talking to Jesus and Jesus's response. Like yeah. I was all in that like back and forth world. Like not even like, how do I apply that? Mm. But how do I apply how Jesus responded? Right. Yeah. And how do I not be like the accusers? So I found something specifically in John 8, 21 through 23 that you highlighted but I also see in other places, okay. like like Paul's sarcastic at one point. He's mm-hmm. like, do not continue sinning lest grace may abound. All right? right, clearly some sarcasm there because he's really saying, you shouldn't keep sinning, idiot. Sorry, that's, that's really right. what he's saying. So um, in that passage and right there and tying that to what 
what we were talking about in Colossians and we were just discussing, is there any room for sarcasm in the life of a believer? <laughs> wow, that that's a 180 degree turn. I know. Uh, call hey, it. Here's, hey, what, I, here's hey, what I'm saying. I, I can answer. Here's, that's a, here's wait, a question, let me just answer though. it. No. Okay. There's not. Tell us, tell us why. I want to, you just put your flag and planted it on the moon. Don't even Come on, think man. about it. Like, <laughs> Come on. No. Are they not tracking? They're not. They didn't get they didn't that. They didn't track that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't track. Sarcasm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is too much fun. <laughs> you guys, that's pretty funny. Uh, no, there's no room for sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so what, what Eric was saying, though, is. Do you not even understand my teaching? Like, when I get up and I talk on a Sunday, so I'll normally tell a story. And do you not know what I say literally every time after I tell the story? Yeah, I've got it memorized. What do, what yeah. do I say? You say, this has nothing to do with my sermon. I, I know, just, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And that's the sarcasm. So do you think that's okay? Yeah, I think it's okay. Well, then you answered it's humorous. your question. Good, then you answered your question. Well, I think their sarcasm was biting. It was a defense mechanism. So you're talking about different. sarcasm as opposed to like having fun with each other as opposed to sarcasm that is biting and oh. critical and demeaning and degrading and... Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, mean, I mean, I see it as like, if sarcasm bridges the gap of like, so Brian, if you say something to me, and after Church Unscripted, I'm like, dude, that Brian guy, we are never having that again. <laughs> I've already said that twice, but right. you know, like... If that if it bridges on that where I'm hurt, you know that's probably not okay, right? I mean they're addressing and something completely. different. I agree. I've had moments in my life because I kind of live in that world um, where I have used something that I thought was humorous, and later found out that it's biting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so again, I've been there. But you're saying that in scripture, can it be biting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Paul, Paul kind of is, but I mean. Look, look at the verse. So you read on Sunday, and so people don't know the context necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. But they they say to him, will he kill himself? And you mentioned the point, like some of your Bibles are going to say suicide. They're, right. they're like finding humor in someone dying or killing right. themselves. I, I feel like that's maybe a line. Like when I look at this, I'm like, I don't want to joke about that. Pause. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, back to Colossians 3 and what Eric was saying. How do we fight the thoughts that Jesus mm. is crazy and we associate with Jesus. How do we fight those thoughts? And how do we walk alongside people, which is what your, your second is? I think we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, if we're associated with Jesus, are we just as crazy as him? Because they're saying he's crazy. Just to give you some feedback. So after church on Sunday, you know, we had people who just needed space. They needed time. And some of those people probably in their life are not being heard. Mm. Um, whether it's in their marriage or at home, right? Um, with a spouse who may not be attending with them um, or even in some situations, parents who are bringing kids and they don't go home to a place where they can have these conversations, right? Um, and it, when I say kids, college students, right? College students who um, semester's about to end and they're going home into a situation where they can't have this dialogue because their parents aren't believers, mm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and so where do they go? And how do they begin to get connected? Well, at some point, we have to be the ones to open up our homes and our time and our lunches and breakfasts to, to people like that, don't we? Yeah. 
So I read a book recently and um, it's called, I can't remember the author, you might remember John, but the, the title is The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the idea is that the moment you embrace the gospel, you also embrace Jesus' ethic of being available and present for the people who need to simply come in your house. Not when you say it's okay, but when they say, I need to come in your house, sit at your table um, and actually have a conversation. And that's a whole, it's a paradigm shift. It is. Yeah. And so I like that concept. And I hear you harping on this thought of it's the church that needs to make themselves available and present to the people who find themselves feeling crazy for the beliefs, crazy for associating with Jesus and who are wondering if they need to fight it, uh, run from it or freeze in it. And I think it's part of the, 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 the community of believers that helps people one of the things that I love about Jesus' response, he's not in any way floored by their accusations. He's not, he's not humiliated by their sarcasm. He is so confident in what he knows to be true. And I'm thinking, I wonder if we can get to a place where we're so confident in our faith and trust in Jesus that it doesn't matter what sarcastic jab tries to convince us that we're crazy and bring doubts into our life, that nothing is going to, hmm. to throw us. I mean... I mean, I look at you, Brian, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to get your head big, but I see that in you. I see someone who, even though you're 52, 52 years young. 53. 53. 53. You're welcome 53. for that, He by just the way. took a year off. I know, That's I good. good about yeah, that. you're yeah, welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, I see someone like you and several other people, a lot of people on the elder board, who, who have lived so much life with Jesus that there's this quiet confidence that just kind of emits out of you. So can we pause for a second there sure. and just tell you, so how much people like me struggle still, sure. right? And so that was part of what I hope I communicated on Sunday was, even though you may have walked in your faith, there can come times when life events, right? So with a child, mm-hmm. uh, with a parent that you are thrown and say, you know, God, I thought we were doing this thing together. Mm-hmm. And now where are you in this circumstance, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, I don't care how long you've been in the faith. I think that's a quiet confidence that sometimes um, allows people to put up boundaries so that people don't get close to them. Oh, so it's a, it's a safety mechanism. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And I think we have people in the church who put off that confidence so that they don't have to be in relation with others. Well, maybe, maybe that's me. <laughs> well, and I think I think in some ways what you're saying is there there's there could be a uh, a different motive than the quiet confidence of faith. But I I think one of the things that I've seen some of the most mature believers I know say is I don't know. Like right. I love when I go to someone that I think I'm looking up to you. Yeah. You are someone I'm going to for this, and I don't know. And I I've had a few of those different pastors in my life. Mm-hmm. They're like I explain a situation. They're like. I don't know. And then they're usually like, you better start praying. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know. Yeah. But for me, it know. came down to, again, John chapter nine, mm-hmm. where this, this blind man says, I, I don't know, mm. but I'll tell you what I do know. I yeah. was blind yeah. and now I see. Yeah. And so the problem is for a lot of us in our faith journey, we, we can't say what we were. And then after we met Christ, who we are. And I think that's where Satan can make us ineffective. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think, honestly, that was um, my favorite part of your message. And I think the most powerful impact point of your message, because 
uh, as you were oh, saying, I gotta be that, honest. I think there were other really good points. No, there. Was <laughs> only one. Just, only I mean, one. There were some other Listen, good points. I was only paying attention for five minutes, and that's Sorry. what I heard. So, Sorry. yeah, okay. there you go. But the, I mean, as you said that, I thought through several scenarios and instances happening right now in the lives of people, where where even they don't have to hear from anybody. They're beginning to think that they're crazy for trusting in God. One of them, and I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, is is we have a family uh, a, a family in Richmond where he came from who were friends of ours. And several years ago, he lost his wife to cancer. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, he lost his 18-year-old son to a, a, a car, car crash, died instantly. Yeah. And how could you not wonder, is my God really good yeah. when you take my 18-year-old son away like that? And so I can imagine that if, if I'm there with that family and they ask me the question, why would God let this happen? The only response that would be remotely appropriate is I have no idea. Right. It's terrible to give any kind of other response, whether it's theological or just, mm. or emotional, whatever. You know, when people say like, you know what? Heaven just needed some, heaven <laughs> just wanted your son, you right. know? Or he was too good for this world. That doesn't help at all. But when you say, I don't know, but at the right time you say, here's why I still believe God's good. Because I remember when I was broken and he's healed me. I remember when I was stuck in addiction and I've been set free. And I love the fact that the best answer to doubts is never a theological answer. It's always your story. Yeah. And I think that was really powerful. So have you guys, so now I get to ask you questions. There we go. That's, that's what <laughs> I want to tables. find out. So have you guys ever had points in your faith journey where you've said along my faith journey, I've questioned some of the things that I've believed in. Absolutely. Um, and I, can we start with you? Because you and I kind of yeah. talked about this. So what was yeah. one of those moments for you? I would say this, this story is probably my very first crisis of faith. Not to say it's the only one, but the one that probably launched me into several experiences like this. So um, I'm very thankful that I grew up in a, an about Christian home that honored Jesus, um, a home that, that marriage was intact and so forth. I, I'm, I'm grateful that I attended right here at Brookside and grew up in a youth group where you were a sponsor at, by the way, um, <laughs> that was holistic and healthy and, and helped me grow. I'm grateful that the majority of my friends, whether at school or church, were all believers. So uh, I'm grateful that my entire bubble was saturated by Christian faith. Faith. And then I go to college. And even though it's a Christian university, I am for the first time in my life exposed to historical and worldwide philosophies, religious thoughts, belief systems that are nothing like my Christian faith. And, and up until that point, I thought that everyone who subscribed to any other philosophy or belief system were either arrogant or ignorant. And did you meet any of those people? I mean, did people come to class? What happens? Absolutely. So one of my, um, my second degree was philosophy. And in this philosophy class, uh, the professor invited a Buddhist monk to come and talk to us. And I thought, this guy must be ignorant or rebellious. But then he came and talked to us and I realized this guy is far more articulate than I am. He's far more well-read than I am. Mm -hmm. He understands history and religious and philosophy way better than I do. And he knows exactly why he believes what he believes. And that launched me into this crisis of faith where I began to wonder, how can I say that my Christian faith is the only true faith and everybody else is dead wrong, they're all going to hell. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's where... I, I struggled with wondering if my beliefs were crazy Wow! Uh, and doubts showed up. And then the redeeming thought was uh, I, I came to the conclusion that if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that is what separates faith in Jesus from the faith in any other God. Um, if the resurrection is true, then my faith is valid. Wow! And if, if it's not true, 
then it's just a one religion among thousands that maybe give me a good life, but does not give me eternity. Yeah. And so I think for the first time in my life, uh, my faith was built not on the faith of my parents or of my Christian bubble, but on the reality of the resurrection. And that's made all the difference. Yeah. And that's just one of just those times, right? Isn't yeah. That, yeah. Okay. Your turn. Yeah, what about you well, guys? Around the You're circle not, or... You know, oh, no. you want to go to me oh, first? No, I can, I can go. I can go. Okay. I've had multiple crises. I, <laughs> so, like, so, I don't know if you want to start with me. <laughs> Let's hear from Dave. Uh, yeah. No, I, I've had quite a few. And um, one of the things that I, I think has been a crisis of faith for me, and it, I've really realized this within the last five to ten years, but I always thought that I didn't have a story, a testimony. Oh, right. Because... Like Eric, I grew up in the church, have awesome parents who love Jesus, surrounded by great people, went to a Christian college, started working in church. <laughs> like, I, don't, I didn't have the rebellious phase. I didn't have the, you know, I, I, as far as I know, like, I've just always been with Jesus. And right. uh, I, I've struggled to, to want to share my story because I'm like, well, I'm just... I, this is just me. Like, right. I, I was never, do, I didn't do, feel blind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was I, mm -hmm. am I like, I mean, even questions of like, am I safe? Like, is this, is this real? Like I didn't have this. Right. Saul to Paul experience. So right. am I, do I truly love Jesus? Do people think that I'm not actually like, I don't know. It's just, I've always wrestled with that. And in the last, you know, five, five to 10 years, I feel like I've, I've really, recognized how important that testimony is because that in and of itself is a testimony. And um, I have a brother-in-law who had a Saul to Paul experience and he would always tell me, no, I, I wish that my story was your story. And then it becomes this, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I recognize and youth group makes you want to have this, like, I was yeah, on heroin and always, then all of a sudden always got show, off of it. They always right. show the, the addiction stories, right? Like, there's no... Like my story is always continuing. And I think like you touched on it, like Satan likes to sidetrack us by like that for me, it's like, well, your story is not right, you valid. Right. But the truth is like, I have a story that's being written right now that may not be a salvation testimony, but like the Lord's doing things in my life that like somebody else may not be experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me that that's been a journey and it still is a journey, uh, of faith, of, of recognizing my salvation in Christ. And, and so here's, again, conceptually, even from a pastor's perspective, is, and so do we share those stories, mm. right, with people about the things that we struggle with, or does it make us look like basket cases, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, boy, they're always struggling, they're always wrestling, they're always, they're always telling us their problems. Don't they have their lives together? Yeah. I mean, well, I, well, I think it's important. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that pastors are human. Like we're not any closer to God than any other person in this, right. in this sanctuary. Uh, it's important. Like, I think it's important not to treat your congregation like a counselor, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I That's think there's, right. there's that relational connectedness that you're talking about. Like when people fight, flight, you know, all those things, that relational connectedness happens when we're vulnerable. Right. And so if a, if a pastor can be vulnerable, I think that is hugely important and vital for people to recognize, oh, they're, mm -hmm. they're pursuing right. Jesus just like me. 
Well, and I, I think, especially in a crisis of faith, there's an understanding that you're going through something. And I've done, uh, I think it was like a, a complete life map of different moments in my life, like major events. And I started noticing a pattern. Every time I had doubt creep in was when I was going through like three or four major life things. Hmm. So like we just went through a major transition with our family, you know, moving and coming here and we're excited to be here. And then there's all these things happening and all these moving pieces, right? And I've got four kids that all went to new schools and all did new (laughs) stuff, right? And so you have those moments where you're like, God, why am I going through this? Like, and when when your brother-in-law, right, Mm -hmm. says, I wish my story was yours, there's a reason. Because um, I, I still remember my first crisis of faith, I was seven years old. I mean, I was really young. I was sitting... Uh, on a couch, an ugly couch from like the 80s. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? You know, mine were, like, mine were from the 60s. But maybe, maybe, okay. <laughs> ugly couch from the 80s. Um, it was better than the ugly green chair we had. You know, that probably should be in a dumpster somewhere. But I was sitting on a couch and my parents, I'm the, I'm the older brother. So my brother's five. He wasn't there. I thought that was a little weird. My parents sit me down and they're like, well, your dad's kidneys are failing and he needs a transplant. And me and my seven-year-old seven. mind- in my seven-year-old mind, I was like, he's dying. I still remember that was like one of my earliest memories. I'm like, my dad's dying. And uh, spent five years waiting for a transplant. Wow. Dialysis, going in, uh, seeing what's really creepy is when you actually know someone's health and their whole face kind of turns jaundice because they don't have, their kidneys are not filtering their blood. Right. Mm -hmm. And seeing what, what he went through and having to move as a result go on disability, all these different things, life events that happened at a prime age. And that formed me in a way to realize at the time I didn't want to have anything to do with that. But now how God's used that. So I think like the antithesis to your question is every time I have a, a crisis of faith, in the moment, I hate it. I want to run from it. It's painful. It's nothing I want to be in. I'm fight or flighter. I, I don't even think freeze. Like, I can't freeze in it. I have to go one way or another. I'm on one end of the spectrum. This I is unscripted, like. right? Yeah, unscripted. it's unscripted. I think there's a fourth F, and it's it's fart. Oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. I think that's yeah. the fourth yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fart. Okay. There's okay. sarcasm. I wanted okay. to give you a little out there. So, so when I was seven, I farted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a clip now. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. That's going to be YouTube short. That's, exactly, yeah. right there. So, so I think... In, that, in those moments, I don't want to be in them. After I'm in wow, them, right. I start realizing that those are things that God's going to use to help someone else. Mm. I've, had, I've, had, I've had people approach me that their parents or a family member had the same kidney issues as my dad. And I go, how the heck did God right. set this up? Like, and set this up at this moment. Um, and there's things that, like, happen in life, like... David, I did not have the same experience you had with like Christian school, mm. Christian this. In fact, like I went to a state college and I was so challenged. That was probably like the most thriving years of mm. my younger years of faith because everyone I was around did not believe. Like everyone. I was like city on a hill. I was not doing it. There was no one. And I think of those moments and I thrived the most. And I think the moments I struggled the most is when I saw other Christians hurt me or harm me. They, uh, you know, you mentioned people saying things. I, I want to pivot a little bit, but when you said people saying things instead of saying, I don't know, and just like kind of sitting there and listening, mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we speak to people that are in that, we're actually going to harm them. 
Mm-hmm. And my biggest fear, and I would say in my faith is in pastoral ministry, am I helping this person or am I harming them mm-hmm. when I speak to them? Mm-hmm. And so maybe I need to listen more sure. and maybe I need to just sit. Um, I've really struggled with sitting in people's pain. Mm. And I find like, if I sit in a room where someone's crying, they're going to keep talking and they're just going to keep talking. And sometimes it's really messy and I don't want to listen anymore because I don't want to hear the grief that they're going through. And so I think our crisis of faith isn't actually an opportunity, but it's not one we want to- Well, that's the story of Job, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. It's story of Job is he loses everything, everything. And his friends come and for the first seven days, they sit with him and it's great. Right. And then they make a mistake by opening their mouth. And they start talking. Exactly. Uh, and they think they, they're trying to express to Job who God is and what God's trying to do. And by the way, Job, you're probably the one sinning and you should evaluate why you're sinning because God doesn't do this to people who are righteous. And, um, and at the end of the book, I mean, it's pretty clear, God, God blows that up. And he's like, who do you think you are uh, to speak on my behalf? And I think, I think we have to be careful outside of being present having proximity. And if you're going to open your mouth, it's not some theological answer to their, yeah. to their perceived craziness. It's more like, Hey, let me just, let's just go get coffee and hang out. Or can I bring you a meal or something like that? That's, that's meant to be relational, not theological. I mean, meals, didn't you mention that earlier? Having yeah, meals it's, it's just interesting. We've, we've had people on Friday nights um, at our house, I think for 10 years now um, that we've had, and some of them are, have been there for 10 years. They just won't leave, huh? They don't, they don't yeah. leave every Friday night. But what happens is it's not that we're sitting down and going through the word of God, but we're talking about life and our journeys together. Mm. Um, and our faith story is constantly coming up, but it's, it's not that we're saying we need to study a book of the Bible mm. together, but we need to be together and be people of faith together. Hmm. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's, you know? it's, it's basically communal versus individual, right? Right. I mean, you're in communal faith with those people, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I think I've, I've, I've discovered that this entire series that we're calling Worthless, whatever the accusation is, whether it's you're crazy for your beliefs or your story's a lie or you're illegitimate or whatever the other four ones are that we're going to talk about, um, every accusation inevitably brings a severe emotional response. Uh, and so when, when you're talking with these people, mm. I think the challenge is not to identify exactly what the accusation is, but to recognize that there's a pain and a hurt and a wounding there mm. that's either self-inflicted or brought on by somebody else. Right. And I think it's, it's what they need the most is not an answer. What they need the most is the felt love of Jesus. Mm. And if, if we're going to be the body of Christ, we have the power and the authority to present the felt love of Jesus to people who might say they're looking for an answer, but in reality, they just need the presence of Jesus. And, and part of it for me was um, over history, finding out how much the Bible actually is true, mm-hmm. right? And so it's been unique to watch, even when we were in Israel just a few weeks ago, um, that here the Bible talked about Hezekiah building this some type of tunnel between pools. And of course, that's, you know, we can't find it anywhere until about the 1800s, right? And then they uncover Hezekiah's tunnel, right? And so something that for Christians, for, for generations, you know, they had to just trust that that Bible was true. And, you know, hmm. that it, 
It was never found. And then we find it. For me, it was Sunday talking about how high the heavens are above the earth, Mm -hmm. right? And so for me, as a kind of a financial math guy, knowing that we have four light years is how far above the heavens are above the earth and how high God's thoughts are in comparison to ours. That's what really spoke to me. So I know you got something good, but I got something good out of the message. (laughs) (laughs) That that again, that how much higher God's thoughts are than our thoughts. Did that hit with any of you? Absolutely. Did it connect? Yeah. It's kind of hard to fathom or to mentally wrap your brain around it. Mm. But what it does do is is give perspective of, since I can't reach there, my only option is to trust there. Um, And so- Mm even if I can't explain away or reconcile what God is doing in my life, my only option is to trust that he is in fact good, that he is in fact faithful, that he is kind, that he is loving, and he is the nature of a good heavenly father. And if I can start there, then I think eventually I can filter my experience as hard and as painful and as disillusioning as it might be. As crazy as it is. As crazy as it might be through the filter of God's goodness. But if I start with the craziness, then that might have the potential of changing my view on God. Maybe he's not very that good. Right. And so I think we can see the tactic and strategy of our enemy to not just call ourselves crazy, but to erode the very foundation of our faith. Yeah. did you guys see some of the shorts that, that does? Because I got to look at it before. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shorts, shorts from the sermon? Yes. Or, yeah. Shorts from the sermon. And to see how many people commented and what the comments were um, just about, again, that, that when we're talking about these biblical facts and some people said, yeah, I would never believe those things. Like, how could you believe those mm-hmm. things, right? And then other people said, yes, I do believe those things. And then some people picked on the fact that I said, instead of... Israelites, I think I said. What Israels. Was Israels. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, right? so, yeah, I, you know, you get up and talk for 25 yeah, minutes right. and not make a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Israels. <laughs> Israels. It's like a soccer team, I right? Mean, right, right, right. <laughs> so, again, just watching people's comments on hearing just bits of the sermon. And if you don't hear the whole thing, how if you only have a piece of it, right, you may not hear the whole picture. Mm. And I think that's part of our faith journey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you only have bits and pieces of scripture, I, I mean, you can take one verse here and there and be like, I'm not going to be a part of this. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about the Old Testament and what happened. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't have the whole picture, <coughs> then you really struggle. Even last week, wasn't it last week um, on Church Unscripted, we talked about um, where should we start? And we talked about the gospels a little bit. And Eric was talking about John and we're talking about the beginning and Genesis. And there's so many sections of scripture that if you read it, like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I, I read through Judges. You ever read through Judges? <laughs> yeah. I, I was in junior high and I thought, I'm going to read through Judges. I start reading through Judges and I'm like, my parents wouldn't let me read this. <laughs> I was like, this is so intense. I don't know about this. But, but it did not diminish my faith. It helped me realize that God was real right, and in our world and gives me an opportunity, invites me into relationship mm-hmm. with him. And so even reading the book of Judges can be an experience like that. It's all about the perspective. And Eric, you said that we need to believe that God's good. And when you're talking about like his character, yeah. and if we believe that in all things, we also know that we're inadequate and we won't understand everything and we won't know everything. And so we do need to look at the whole of scripture rather than 
Well, that, just that, a that's why throughout Scripture, God has established certain patterns so that we can remember his goodness. Yeah. I mean, every feast, every festival, as, as much of a holiday as that might have been for the people, yeah. it was always designed to help the people remember, which is why when we do communion, we recite what it says, do this in remembrance of me. And I think when you remember, now you have an authority over the pain of the doubt or the right. craziness mm-hmm. to say, okay, if I yeah. take it at a snapshot, man, God's not looking so good right now. Mm-hmm. But if I remember my story and how he was a part of it, yeah. how yeah. he rescued me, then all of a sudden we have authority over whatever it is that he's accusing us of. So am I allowed to ask questions again? This, I know this is where I'm on the- I just really yeah. love this. This yeah. is gonna you know, be good. Next time so, you preach, I'm loving this. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, a lot of churches don't use liturgy. Right, mm-hmm. So we move away from liturgy. We move away from these creeds mm-hmm. that we've had, like the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're old-fashioned and they don't fit in today's culture. But is there some benefit to having those mm-hmm. uh, liturgical moments where we're remembering the past and we're walking through those? Is there value I, I there? I think that's David's question. Is there value there? there? I, I, I think so. That, yeah. That's not really a question. That's a statement. He's saying there's value in yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm asking. Because yeah. that liter- Ryan's changing the service. <laughs> no, but- no I, th- I think there is value in that. And in fact, when I, when I plan even our, our worship sets, uh, there is a, a, a little bit of liturgy involved in the sense that um, we, we, not every Sunday, but most Sundays we take the path of the tabernacle of of just that thanksgiving that gratitude bringing us into the inner courts and and towards the holy of holies and so there is there is a reason why so we do it we do but it do people but it's know not, we're doing it i don't think they and is there up. value in, <laughs> and is there value in knowing we're doing yeah. it yeah does I think that make there, sense i think there is i think i mean there's a lot of um even uh like gen z uh millennials that have gone back to liturgical churches because because it helps them to remember and they like remembering um and so i think there's definitely value in in that um and it can look different i think every church has its own liturgy right no matter how no matter where you go there's a way that they do their service and there's a reason for it and it's leading people on that journey and are people aware of it probably not right could they be yeah, they could be. My my experience with liturgy, so I went to a bunch of different types of churches that I experienced, like I did this in seminary as an experiment. The funniest one was actually going to a Greek Orthodox church because you have to like kiss the priest's ring at the end of the service. And I'm like, this was pre-COVID, okay? So I'm like, post-COVID, I'm like, do they still do that? I'm gonna check it out. It was actually in Fort Wayne. So, But one of the things that I think I've noticed with liturgy, like when I've experienced it, is it focuses on the transcendence of God. Hmm. Mm. And when you talked about the heavens and you talked about how high God is, I think we're missing that. And as a church? Say, no, no. As a culture, culture as, as people, mm. and that is something that Gen Z and millennials are looking for because you have eight-second videos, you have YouTube mm. shorts, you have whatever, and you're flipping through those and you see all this content and you're looking for the transcendence of God because we have so many fallen leaders mm. in Christianity. We have so many fallen leaders in culture you know, who, who, who next is going to commit an affair? Who next is going to fall? Right. Who next is going to do this? Um, and I think in some ways we're just craving the celebrity culture. We're craving the transcendence of God instead. And what you're saying is that there's certain 
practices or habits that can remind you of the transcendence of God. Right. One of the things that I love that we did in Israel is that um, uh, when, we, when we'd get on the bus in the morning, um, we would often read what's called the Psalms of Ascent. They're Psalms 120 to 134. And this is what the people did as they were on their way up. Literally, they were walking up a hill towards the Temple Mount and spiritually, they were in a sense walking into the presence of God mm. um, and they're reminding themselves of who God is, what he's done for them. Mm. And so it s- established something of a, a mentality, an emotional stance so that they could worship God appropriately. And I think... Um, but, it, but again, let's put that into context, yeah. right? Because as a follower of Christ, I might see in Psalms the words, right? A Psalm of an ascent, but then I don't know the context there. Right. And so is it is it our role to begin adding context when we have the opportunity? Oh yeah, I, I think so. Because I think what that could do is ignite that same practice in someone's personal life. Because the context would not for them, not necessarily be what we do on Sundays, their story or their current circumstances would be the context. And so the Holy Spirit is is really cool in that you can just be reading a passage of scripture and he applies it to your life, relates it to your circumstance in a way that brings some kind of a hope to it. And so if you find yourself stuck in a, I'm, I'm crazy for believing that God is good. Right. Mm. Then all of a sudden he can remind you of something he's done in your life, bring you to a Psalm and show you, okay, he is good. Mm. And all of a sudden you get clarity. So I see what you did there. What did okay. I do? I, what did you do? <laughs> what did I do? Well, I think you just answered the question that we've been discussing almost this whole time that we've been what? tiptoeing around. <laughs> yeah, what? See, look at that. Is that sarcasm? What was it? Is that sarcasm? <laughs> so, so. I didn't answer it. Did I? Did Eric well, answer it? Eric answered it, but you let us all there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's just put it that way. Because I think the, the reality of it is even if we know the context, we still have to have faith though. Right. And so knowing the context does help. But I also think that those, those blocks that you can stand on, right? And so yeah. I think Eric was giving us some of those blocks that are foundational to our faith, right? So even if you have a story like, like David and he says, I don't have this transitional moment where I, I was blind and now I see, that you don't see it that way. But you have these blocks you can still say, but that's my foundation of my faith. Mm-hmm. And I think some people miss that in context. In context, so, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I don't think we should chase a testimony. I mean, that's the struggle most people have. Right. Like, oh, I know. I really, I've been through this hard thing. It's like, no, we're, we shouldn't be chasing that because guess what? Hardship's going to come our way if we're a follower of Christ. Like right. Satan, Satan's putting a target on our back. Eric, you've said that before in a sermon. It's like, we're going to be at battle here. And so when you're talking about those blocks, many of us, I don't think, have all the blocks. Right. And so I think pastorally, that's probably a weakness of the American church is there's not those moments and those opportunities to fully quantify the, those, the context and bring faith in that sense. I think this series though yeah. has been being able Starting to identify some of those blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've been doing that in these first three weeks. In the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews had very specific names for God. Mm-hmm. Jehovah Jireh, um, Jehovah Nisei, and I, I can't remember how many of them are, but in saying the name of God, mm. they are referencing one of those blocks. Yeah. God yeah. is provider. Yeah. yeah. God yeah. is present. You know, those kind of things. So they had embedded in their practices mm. um, regular reminders of who God is to combat the inevitable attacks and accusations that Satan gives us. 
And I feel it, like this is a continuing conversation. What you just said should yeah. be like every church unscripted through the end of the series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's just cover some of the names of God. Yeah. Yeah. These are the things to combat right. the accusations. Because yeah. we're going to talk about more accusations, right, Eric? I mean, yeah, we've got four more. But you know what that leads to? Someone recommended that the next series after this should be a series on the heart of God where you discover that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is mm-hmm. provider, he is powerful. And I think when you are embedded- Well, just make sure I get the hard one. Okay. okay. I'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about that one. Brian will do it. Um, so this has been a, a phenomenal conversation. David and John always enjoy doing this with you, uh, Brian. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah. We've loved having you on. I hope you'll come back and join us in some more conversations. But I want to thank you for being a part of this Church Unscripted. And again, if you found value in this, uh, let me encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you hit the like button as well as the notification bell so you can be reminded whenever we upload more information, more content. Again, thanks for being with us. We cannot wait to see you here again next week on Church Unscripted.